0: Hello and welcome to part two of our Brexit series looking at Brexit from the perspective of an Asian investor. Uh, My name is Lewis MacDonald and I'm the head of the corporate division for Herbert Smith Freehills here in Asia based in Tokyo. And I'm Christopher Hunt, a partner in the Disputes team here in Tokyo.
1: And I'm Michael McAulene, a senior associate based here in Tokyo in the Disputes team.
0: Thanks Chris and thanks Michael. Well just to recap on part one of the series, we looked at the current status of Brexit we recognise the fact that on the 23rd of June 2016, the British public voted to leave the European Union and the fact that Brexit's going to happen on the 29th of March 2019. So that gives us around six months to Brexit. We looked at the negotiating position of the UK and we looked at the status of the negotiations, including some of the uh, red lines, if you like, between the UK. And the EU in those negotiations and we know that there's still uh, quite a lot to be done on both sides to get to a deal. So Chris I might start by asking you what's going to happen between now
2: and the 29th of March 2019? If I knew precisely Lewis I could make a lot of money on that in the betting markets but uh, I think broadly speaking the UK and the EU are going to reach a deal or they're not going to reach a deal. I think that's Mm. Bluntly put, that's where it is. Let's say that there is a deal. How might that happen? Well, over the next few months, there are going to be a series of summits, a series of meetings between the UK and the EU. And there's going to be one next month, October, and then definitely one in December. And people think that December is the time when, if there's going to be a deal, it's going to happen then. Most negotiations kind of go up to the wire, whether this is in corporate field or political. Mm. And given that the exit date for the UK is in March, December seems to be the last time that they can reach a deal. Well, what are they going to do between December and March? Well there's there's a process and I think there's a process on both sides, on the UK side and on the EU side. So on the UK side This deal, whatever this deal is going to look like, if there is one, has got to go through the British Parliament. And so Theresa May, British Prime Minister, has got to get this through. Now, as we discussed in the first episode, she doesn't have a majority in Parliament and she relies on another party, another party to get a majority. But she has some challenges within her own party to keep them all together and she's facing an opposition which may well end up voting against whatever she puts forward. But let's say that there is a vote in her favour, then that's it covered from the UK side. Mm-hmm. But it's not guaranteed that there would be a vote uh, in her favour. And if there isn't, then I think we start talking about the possibility of another general election right? or maybe even a second referendum. Okay, what are the chances of that having you think, Chris? Well, let's say that Theresa May has agreed a deal with the European Union. She's put it before Parliament and it gets voted down. At that point, she might call a general election and say to the British people, look, this is all very difficult and we want you, the British people, to have a say as to whether we try and put, uh, agree on this deal or whether we just go down the no deal pathway. If Labour, who are the main opposition, if Labour win, then they've said that they would have uh, a second referendum on this matter. Now, the precise question uh, wouldn't be clear and maybe it would be a rerun of the vote from June 2016. That's a possibility. Or maybe it will just be the question of, should we accept the deal that's been negotiated or should we have a no deal? So that's one of the many Mm. uncertain things here. But I think that we can't rule out the possibility of a second referendum at this time.
0: Okay. So if the UK government is able to reach a deal with the European Union, the deal still has to go through Parliament and it still has to be voted yes or no. On the UK side. On the UK side. Okay. And, And what about on the European side? If they are yeah. able to reach a deal, what happens um, in relation to their process? Yeah, so,
2: so they've, got a, they've got a similar um, process in the sense that it's got to go through the European Parliament, which is made up of MEPs, Members of the European Parliament, from all over Europe. But then they've also got to get this through all of the EU member states. There's 28 countries in the EU at the minute. Take Britain out, that leaves 27. And so 20 governments out of 27 have to sign up to this. If there is a deal done, it's highly likely, in my view, that they will get 20 governments to approve because they're given the negotiating position. Okay. So the European side is probably going to be less difficult than the UK side. Okay, to, to, to sort of um, to recognise the deal
0: once it's been made, yeah. and to approve yeah. that deal. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Okay, so we might have an issue on the UK side because of the fact that Theresa May doesn't have the majority, as you said, and it's going to have a process ahead of her to, to get the yeah. requisite majority in the UK Parliament. Mm. But on the European side, if the deal can be done, the view is that it's likely that it would go through the European Parliament. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So just say there is a deal mm-hmm. that's reached.
2: Um, what happens next? What's likely to happen after that? Okay, so you've got, your, you've got your deal, you've gone through your processes, and we've got to the 29th of March 2019, uh, which is the, the Brexit day, if you will. So far in negotiations, it's been agreed that there'll be a transition period. Mm -hmm. And so what this means is that from the 29th of March next year until the end of 2020, that's 21 months in total, there's this transition period. And the reason for this is it gives everyone time to adjust governments, businesses, because there's a lot to work out Mm -hmm. here. And if there's not a deal announced until December, three months isn't very long for everybody to yeah. work out what's going to happen next. So there's this transition period. The UK is not going to be a member of the EU anymore. and It's not going to have any votes. But it's, it's going to be, broadly speaking, business as usual. Mm. And so it's going to be a sort of a gentle exit from the EU if there's a deal and if it's ratified. Okay. So that transition period, that would in
0: some sense delay the exit of Britain from the EU in some sense? In practical terms, yes. Okay. But in legal terms, it would have left. Right, But and in practical terms, yeah. Sure, and that will give uh, investors in the UK more time, if you like, to prepare um, for the outcome. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, Chris, what do you think the chances are of there being a, a deal or, or no deal?
2: Uh, well, that's a difficult one. Um, <laughs> Instead of me giving my opinion, let me tell you what some other people have said. So there was um, a survey last month um, by Reuters, and they asked a series of um, a lot of businessmen uh, in the UK, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think there's going to be a deal or a no deal? And the average answer Mm -hmm. was 25% no deal and 75% there would be a deal. So you've got that. You've then got, well, what has the government said? Yes. The UK government. They've recently been talking up the chances that there could be a no deal. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's part of a negotiating strategy, but let's put that to one side. There's a guy called Liam Fox, who's one of the leading uh, cabinet ministers on this. He's in charge of international trade. And he said over the summer, there was a 60-40 chance of no deal, 60% no, no deal 40% a deal. So I think those are probably your ranges. Mm -mm. Now, my personal view, I think Liam Fox is perhaps overstating it a little bit, and it's probably uh, less than 50%. Okay. Okay. But um, this is changing all the time. We're recording this on the 20th of September. If you're listening to this at some point in October, you might look back on this and say, wow, that was was wrong. Um, And actually, there's a certain no deal or a deal is on the cards.
0: Yeah interesting to see what the bookies are saying about yes. this <laughs> okay but in any event there's a a significant chance um that there could be no deal i mean if it, just say it's 25 yeah. percent, which is what the business leaders say that's still significant and that's the sort of um a risk that you'd want to be prepared for and in part three of this series we're going to look specifically at how you can prepare for that no deal scenario um but it'd be good to look a bit more at the no-deal scenario. Maybe, Michael, if you can if you can give a few words on what that no-deal scenario um, might look like.
1: Sure, Lewis. Um, I mean, essentially, there are two <clears throat> routes where we could end up in a no-deal scenario. One is where the UK and the EU negotiators just simply aren't able to come to a deal. Mm. Uh, and the second is, as Chris mentioned, where they are able to come to a deal, uh, but they end up not being able to pass it through the EU, or more likely, the UK Parliament. Mm. Um, in some aspects, it's it's quite simple. What happens if there's no deal? Uh, on the 31st of March 2019, the UK will cease to be a member of the European Union. Um, the more practical aspects that are, uh, that the transition period that Chris was talking about uh, wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. So on the 31st of March 2019, uh, the curtain would be drawn, as it were, and the UK would be on its own, Uh, investors in the UK wouldn't be, in practical terms, uh, enjoying the same rights as they do today. Uh, And that obviously increases the uh, uncertainty and the disruptive effect that would have on investors.
0: Yeah. Okay. But whether or not there's a deal in place, um, on withdrawal, what could the future relationship look like between the UK and the EU?
2: Yeah, well, People are talking a lot in the media about um, a hard Brexit or a soft Brexit. And there are a lot of, if you imagine this as a spectrum or like of a line going across the page with hard Brexit at one end and soft Brexit at another, there are a lot of different options. I think before we go through that, well, what does soft Brexit, what does hard Brexit mean? So a soft Brexit kind of means that The UK and the EU end up with a similar sort of relationship to what they have now. So uh, whereas a hard Brexit would mean a very clean break, and much more of an arm's length relationship. So as if the UK were any other country around the world, as opposed to a country that's been part of the EU 46 years, Mm. and has got a lot of EU law in its own law. So You've got this spectrum, soft to hard. Okay,
0: we're looking at the the, the hard side, for example. I know that, um, you know, let's face it, Asian investors are very interested to um, have certainty when they're looking at investments, and so I think they'll be looking very closely right now. At what are the range of possibilities that could eventuate um, uh, from the negotiations between the hard Brexit and the soft Brexit? So, Chris, can you give a bit more? detail about what these different possibilities might be
2: yeah absolutely let's start on the soft end um so this is often been called the norway model and the reason for this is that norway isn't in the eu but it has quite a lot of the same rights which an eu member has so it's a little bit complicated but outside of the eu there are these bodies called the um European Free Trade Association and the European Economic Area. And so this European Economic Area is Norway, Iceland, Liechtenstein, and all of the EU member states. And to be in this EEA, you've either got to be an EU member, or you've got to be in a European Free Trade Association. So under a Norway-style Brexit, Britain would leave the EU, join this free trade association and then through that get membership of the EEA. It's a little bit complicated, but basically the UK has a similar deal to Norway. Now, if you've got that, well, what does that mean? So what? Mm -hmm. If you get that, then Britain would still have uh, sort of full and tariff free access to the single market. And it's also going to include services which is really important for the UK because the UK, I think it's about 80% of the British economy is made up of the service sector. And in the current deal, which Theresa May put forward, services isn't included. So a lot of people who didn't vote for Brexit kind of favour this option because it keeps a lot of the same um, rights that Britain had under the EU, but not being an EU
0: member. So that model exists at the moment. You mentioned the countries that have it, but that sounds like a softer Brexit than what even
2: the UK has been proposing to to, to, to Europe. Much softer, much softer. And I think that you're right, Lewis, that it is... The UK proposal was, quote, harder. Mm. And I think it would be difficult for Theresa May, given the views of her party, to get something... As soft as this through. Because I think one of the main drawbacks, some people in my party would say, is that Norway has to accept a lot of EU law as part of the price for getting access to goods Mm. and services, Mm. but it doesn't have any right to vote. So it's kind of like being in the EU, but not being able to influence anything. Yeah. And so that's why. it it would probably be very difficult to get this through the Conservative Party, although I think that a lot of other parties would be in favour of this. Okay,
0: So what about some of the more harder Brexits that could potentially arise? Can you talk us through what they might look like?
1: Sure, Lewis. Um, So so one of the harder versions, although still on the soft Brexit end of the spectrum, is what we could call the Swiss model. Um, As Chris mentioned, there are... Uh, countries that are part of the uh, European economic area that have similar rights um, to EU members but without the ability to actually uh, influence or or make those laws. And the Swiss model is quite similar to the Norway model, except that access to the single market for goods and services is more on a sector by sector basis. the European Union uh, isn't a big fan of offering that sort of arrangement to the UK mm. because of their fear that it would allow cherry-picking yes. and it would allow the UK to access bits of the market that it liked and, and not others. Um, so I think we don't need to dwell too long on it because the chances of it being offered to the UK are, are mm. I think mm. relatively remote. Yeah,
0: and I know the EU's been very clear that it sees you know the four freedoms of Europe as being really, they have to be taken as one. And they're not keen on uh, cherry picking hmm. of those individual freedoms. Yeah, that's
2: right. Yeah, that's right. And I think there's there's another similar option which is a customs union. Hmm. And I think for the same idea, or the same reason, Michael mentions that's going to be quite tricky. So a customs union is Britain wouldn't have access to the market in services, but there would be free trade in goods. Okay, okay.
0: Well, what about the no deal
2: outcome? What are some of the features of that? Well, the the no deal, that's kind of at the far end of the spectrum. Of the the hardest, whole, hardest of all Brexit. The man. hardest of all Brexits. But there is one before then. And that's what a lot of people call the, the Canada model. Mm-hmm. And that's like a free trade agreement. So this is sort of very much an arm's length agreement. So Canada's a good example. It took seven years to negotiate. EU and Japan, that's another example, which took many, many years to negotiate. Um EU Canada's in place, EU Japan comes into place next year. For that kind of deal to go through, again, it would just be about goods, but it would be even more arm's length than a customs union. It's Mm. not a customs Mm. union. It's just saying, UK, you can import goods in and there would be no tariffs or minimal tariffs. But I think this was um, a big Issue bound up in this kind of agreement is what's going to happen to Northern Ireland, and because Northern Ireland shares a land border with the Republic of Ireland, which is still in the EU. Yeah. So that we talked about that in part one, but that's going to be a big issue if this kind of agreement comes into place.
0: Yeah. And on the No Deal scenario, um, in terms of the trading relationship, there is there anything you want to say about that? What sort of fundamental rules might still apply?
1: The um, I think the most fundamental change, Lewis, would be that the uh, special relationship between the United Kingdom and the European Union uh, would no longer exist, and so uh, as both of them are, are members of the WTO, yeah, we'd yeah. be falling back on WTO rules. Right, um, and what that means is that <clears throat> goods uh, being exported between the UK and the EU. Um, would be subject to tariffs. Um, and those tariffs would be charged uh, on what's called the most favoured nation basis yes, yes. Um, to prevent discriminating against uh, other trade partners. Yeah. Um. In terms of services, uh, the position is uh, essentially the same, that the UK and EU wouldn't be able to discriminate against each other compared to other trading partners, but essentially other than that, there there wouldn't be um, considerable regulation of of the export of services. Um, In terms of the other uh, fundamental freedoms uh, that underpin the EU, um, in terms of free movement of people, uh, that would uh, cease. And uh, people would be subject to border checks, uh, goods would be subject to checks at the border, um, in addition to the, mm, the tariffs mm. and customs. Uh, and in terms of uh, legal consequences, um, the UK would no longer be subject to uh, EU law.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so even on the hardest possible Brexit, um, we still have to recognise that there will be a, a trading relationship in place governed by the rules of the WTO.
1: That, that That's absolutely right. Uh, in, in the media, we often see uh, references to uh, falling off a cliff edge. Yes. And um, but we do have to remember there is a a bottom uh, that we're falling off into, um, and, and that is yeah. the WTO rules.
0: Okay. Well, thanks, Chris and Michael. It's really helpful. I think for you know for Asian investors in the UK, you know using the UK even as a proxy sometimes for Europe, it's very good to know what the possibilities might look like for the Brexit that we're, that we're looking towards. I think you've outlined that well in in the range of outcomes that you've presented and the fact that we now have a bit more information on what a no deal Brexit might look like, which gives us at least one scenario that we can start preparing for. Um, so in the course of this episode, we've, we've looked at the various possibilities for the, the deal or no deal that might emerge. We've heard that uh, by December, um, we should be in a position to know whether there's going to be a deal or no deal. Um, And at that point, the the Parliament of the United Kingdom, the European Parliament, will then look at what has been the outcome of the negotiations and vote on whether they accept the deal that's been presented or even whether they accept the fact that there's no deal. Um, That could lead to a referendum in the United Kingdom, depending on the outcome. Um, By 29th of March 2019, Brexit will happen. And then from there on, there are a range of potential trading relationships that exist or will be put in place between the UK and Europe. So there's a lot to think about there and it certainly is a topic that is definitely worth following uh, if you are an an Asia-based investor in the United Kingdom just to see what possibility is going to emerge from that range that we've discussed. In the next uh, episode, part three of the series, we're going to look at how you can best prepare for these uh, various outcomes, including how to prepare for a no-deal Brexit. Thank you very much.